Well, the stage is set. The curtain is about to rise. The last act of the drama begins because today we celebrate Palm Sunday, the day Jesus <clears throat> enters into the city of Jerusalem. Our message for today is entitled simply, Who's Your King? And it comes from the Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. On that Palm Sunday, thousands of people, thousands upon thousands of people probably crowded the narrow streets converging on this holy city. It's Passover time. Clothes were spread on the road, branches torn from trees fanned the air, some people shouting, Hosanna. Now, all of this was no accident. Jesus knew what he was doing. In advance, he had arranged for a donkey. Two disciples brought her to him. It was no accident that marked his mode of transportation. Matthew reveals that Jesus set the stage for what we now call Holy Week so as to fulfill the prophecy spoken centuries before in Zechariah 9.9 and Isaiah 62.11. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Call it the first century or the 21st century, the picture remains. Your king is coming. But I'm going to ask, who's your king? Let's take a look at this king. First of all, the king that entered Jerusalem that day is a different kind of king. You know, we Americans aren't too familiar with what we call the monarchy. I mean, we'll watch a coronation. We're fascinated by the pageantry surrounding a royal wedding. We'll even occasionally follow at a distance the royal gossip surrounding Prince Charles and Camilla and read an article about the dating status of Princes William and Harry and stuff like that. And although we're sort of numb when it comes to all kinds of leadership, seeing the weaknesses of kings, prime ministers, and presidents, yet who among us is not stirred to a rapid pulsation by the majestic strains of pomp and circumstance? It is overwhelming to sense the power, the armament, the majestic aura that surrounds the presence of a man called a king. There is something awe-inspiring about royal power. We could add that there is something awesome about all political and military power, which marks the trains of kings, prime ministers, and presidents. There is one exception, that being an encounter with King Jesus. King Jesus is a totally different kind of king. Whereas most royalty comes determined to rule, he comes determined to serve. Whereas most monarchs spend time building their egos with the prerequisites of office, he comes with disarming humility. Whereas most kings ride white stallions or majestic Boeing 747s or Air Force One, King Jesus rides a donkey. He knew what he was doing. The king chose his vehicle of transportation. The horse stands for war. That's what people wanted. They yearned for a leader who had set them free from the yoke of Rome. Jesus rode a donkey, a symbol of meekness, of peace. How different are the swishing of palm branches from the click of crossed swords or the deafening blast of a 21-gun salute. Most kings set themselves up for a hero's death. In the Westminster abbeys of their imagination, they pictured the heads of all nations standing in silent tribute and the world paying honor to their contributions. Jesus was different. He prepared for the cross. He was an ignomini- it was a, his was a kind of an ignominious kind of death marked by the insulting inscription, King of the Jews. His fellow monarchs did not fly in from around the world to pay him honor. No, because your king is a different kind of king. 
Second, your king knows precisely who he was and who he is. Most kings aren't that certain about themselves. In most cases, they have inherited their positions. With the inheritance comes either an ambivalence, bred by failure to earn the position, or perhaps at the other extreme, a kind of bravado and strutting that comes from years of grooming by palace functionaries. Jesus knew precisely who he was. He knew he was the Messiah spoken of by the Old Testament scriptures. Critics may deny this, but the record is clear. Jesus dressed for the occasion, preparing himself for the kind of entrance into Jerusalem described by Isaiah and Zechariah. Those prophets declared that the Messiah would come. He would be the one different from the average king. This one would be humble, making his entry on a donkey. Jesus willingly forced the issue. He deliberately provoked the kind of response he got in Jerusalem that day, which was entirely opposite to his past performance. His whole style of life and ministry was one of kind of shying away from publicity. He avoided large crowds when he could. He refused to take the dominant power-oriented stance of other contemporary leaders. But on this day, he put on the symbols of the Old Testament prophecies. He declared in no uncertain terms by his posturing and bearing, I am the king. He even picked the day. There was only one problem. He picked his day not so much to gain the adulation of the crowd, which he knew was fickle, but to force the issue of his whole reason for being here on earth. His triumphant entry into Jerusalem was designed to seal his doom. It was the catalytic agent which would stir the anger and arouse the jealousy of the religious establishment to a frenzy setting the stage for the greatest event in all human history. Not only did your king know precisely who he was when he entered Jerusalem, right now he knows who he is as he enters the Jerusalem of your life. Embodied in his presence, that day and today is a transparent honesty which defies so much of our worldly leadership. Third, your king comes with a compassion for souls and bodies. Only hours after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the Bible says he wept. Have you ever seen a king weep? Ever watched a president shed tears? Well, years ago, a presidential candidate disqualified himself from a primary after he actually cried in public. He didn't want, we don't want to see our rulers weep. We demand that they be strong. We push them into an arrogance and the fear that they may reflect too much of what we ourselves are, and by weeping, be discredited. No, Jesus was different. He stopped and wept for Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Jesus healed broken bodies as the blind and lame freely approached him the days after his triumphal entry, which so quickly turned into the day of his crucifixion. He didn't keep them waiting. He didn't flaunt his rank in their faces. The simple people, the people with broken bodies and shattered dreams, the people with bruised spirits, the people who hurt in the soul where you can really feel hurt, those he took to himself. He did it then. He does it now. That's the kind of Lord he is. That's the kind of king he is. He wants to transform you through the regenerating power of his Holy Spirit. He wants to touch your life and make you a whole person where your body, soul, and spirit fit together in an eternal complement. Isaiah described him in these words in chapter 53, verses 3 to 7. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Friends, that's your king. The fourth your king comes sounding a note of judgment as well. I mean, Jesus is a king who has compassion, but this compassion is not meant to buy your favor. He's not going to give away everything, denying his own righteousness. He tells you what you need instead of what you want. He tells you that the wages of sin is death and that someday you'll stand before God, your maker, accountable for all that you have done in this life. He warns of judgment. He warns of eternal hell, total alienation and separation from himself. The king who enters Jerusalem on a donkey walks by foot to the hillside of Olivet. From that perspective, overlooking the city he loves and for which he wept, he refuses to give a campaign speech as an earthly leader would do. Instead, he tells it like it is, predicting domestic breakdown, economic catastrophe, wars, rumors of wars, earthquake, famine, and all of the horrible desolation which you and I bring upon each other. That's the kind of king he is. He tells you and me what we need to hear, not just what we want to hear. He talks about more than positive thinking. He talks about more than picking yourself up by your own bootstraps. He tells you that you can't succeed ultimately in your own strength. He warns you to face up to it now and to come to him while you can. Your king is coming. His approach demands your response. Either you're with him or you are not. There's no neutral ground. You know, on Palm Sunday, we typically sing our hosannas, which literally mean save now. Do we mean this? Are we serious? Or do we come because it's nice? It's a nice thing to do? Or are we here because we mean business? Let me conclude by telling you the brief stories of two men I've met in my life. I'm going to call them Jerry and Ron. I mean, Jerry has gone to church all of his life. He thinks of himself as being a very religious man. He's in his mid-60s. He's lived a full life. He hasn't let religion spoil his fun. In fact, although Jerry is religious, he has no king. He has no lord. Well, that's not quite true. He does. There's only one problem. Jerry's king's name is Jerry. He goes through the forms of religious practice. He wouldn't miss church on Palm Sunday. Right now he's probably sitting in the last five minutes of some preacher's sermon somewhere. Jerry's problem is that Jerry has committed himself to himself instead of to Jesus Christ. Jerry, you see, is his own Lord. He gets turned off by emotional preaching that talks about hell. He wants soothing talk about heaven. He hates preaching that quotes the Bible. He wants comforting talk. He wants his his itchy ears to be scratched. He wants no mention of sin. According to him, that went out of style with the Middle Ages. Jerry gets turned off when he sees Jesus, the Messiah, the humble king, coming his way. Then there's Ron. Ron was a cynic. 
He had every reason to not believe. His life was loaded with doubts. How in the world could God become a man? How could an intelligent person trust the Bible? Yes, there is a difference between Jerry and Ron. Whereas Jerry ran the other direction every time Jesus began to come his way, Ron stopped. Ron took a good look, a long look, into the eyes of the prophesied king. He let those eyes probe his religious pretension. He let that penetrating glance cut through the smokescreen of his doubt. He was willing to doubt his doubts. He was willing to go back to the drawing board and read some of the great writers of the Christian faith. He reads his Bible and searches for answers. He he examines the claims of Christ intellectually and experiments with them in his own life. He took Jesus at his word, only to discover this one to be his Lord and Savior. So, friends, is your name Jerry or is your name Ron? Guess what? Your king is coming. He's riding towards you now. He is ready to look straight into your eyes. Are you ready for his glance? That glance demands a verdict. He wants to know whether or not he truly is your king, your sovereign. Will you shift your glance away? Or will there be that nod of affirmation which comes from the one who is loyal in allegiance to the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, your king and your Lord?